We've been working in one other session on the whole issue of confessions of the soul, confessing our sins to another. The first part um, had to do with personal sins and how we need to address those sins after repentance um, by confession in uh, small groups, primarily house groups, Bible studies, and so on. You should be able to find it in the archives. It's Confession of the Soul, Part 1. Now I want to, to take one step farther, and that step is to start talking about the corporate sins, how they need to be dealt with in our, in our uh, family perhaps, but in our church primarily, uh, maybe even community or this country, but we need to recognize that there are sins that people commit, that especially leaders that can affect the whole group that they're responsible for. Now, I'm going to be contradicting myself a wee bit with an example from the scripture about the need for leaders to do, or the problem of leadership doing it, but let's work at that, all right? So we need to clear the debt of sin in our churches. I'm gonna use the word church, um, might be family, might be community, but um, I'll use the word church in order to uh, simplify things. There's a promise from First John 1, 9 that we spoke about the first time. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. The logical thing I look at there is that when we confess our sins, in a church um, environment, whether it be in a board meeting or a members meeting, I wouldn't necessarily recommend it when you have an open meeting for other people to be there that aren't members. But in a members meeting, that if we confess our sins, that you will be just and you'll forgive the church, the people in the church of their sins and purify us, purify that church from all unrighteousness. The thing with sin that we need to realize, it doesn't mature and go away. It doesn't, it doesn't have an expiry date on it. When there's sins committed in the church, they stay in that church until somebody does something about it. And it's important that you hear what I'm saying. I'm going to give you scriptures to prove that in a few minutes. There's a difference between repentance and confession, as we covered in the first part, I'll, I'm going to touch on it briefly, but I want you to go back to part number one and hear a more explanation of it. Repentance is what I'm sorry for the fact that I've sinned against God and hurt him. Confession is an admission that I have sinned before the Lord and before people. First Peter 5, he tells us, as he does in James 4, that God is opposed to the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. And so we need to humble ourselves. I like to put it this way. Pride is when I close myself up against anybody seeing what I'm really like. I don't want you to see the sin in my life. I want you to hear my mouth or my actions saying, oh, I read the Bible a lot, I pray a lot, I preach good, I teach good, I sing good songs. I want you to see me as some kind of a really a holy, godly man, but inside, I'm, as, as Jesus said, you're a bunch of whitewashed tombs or dead bones. And you see, 
Humility, on the other hand, does the opposite. Humility is when I open up my life and I say to the church body in that meeting I'm in town about, say, I have sinned and I believe my sin has affected the whole church here and I'm asking God to forgive me and I ask you to forgive me, but I confess it as a sin because if I don't, I need to realize that I can be responsible for where this church goes and what happens to it. And you see, as I confess my sin, it's good for the soul. It helps me to be clean and pure again. It helps me to come to a place where I recognize that I can walk before God without any shame, without anything holding back the church. Now, the example we find of where an individual sinned and brought a curse on the whole nation of Israel is in the book of Joshua, chapter 7, verse 1. And in Joshua, chapter 7, verse 1, this is what the Lord was speaking to Joshua after they had been defeated by a small city called Ai. In the chapters before and 6, they took Jericho, a huge city, and it was defeated. The walls came down, and they, they, they gained the victory that day. But then they went up to Ai, and they failed in their attempt. That little wee city of 36 men in the army of Israel lost their lives because of it. They come back, and Joshua goes to the Lord. Lord, what's wrong? Lord, what's wrong? It says in verse 1 of Joshua 7, but the Israelites acted unfaithfully. It doesn't mention a man's name there. It just said the Israelites acted unfaithfully. In other words, everybody, there's a responsibility here to do something about it. So they acted unfaithfully in regard to the devoted things. Achan, son of Kamel, took some of them, so the Lord's anger burned against Israel. So one man went against a commandment that all Israel had been given. He said, when you go into Jericho, none of the gold, none of the precious garments or anything, everything has to be committed to the Lord or destroyed, whatever it was. But now the Lord is in a place where he's saying, Israel has sinned. So one man brought curse on that nation. And 20, 36 young, young men, I assume, died as a result of it. So if we slip down to verse 10 of uh, Joshua 7, Joshua saying, what's wrong, Lord? He's down on his face. God said to Joshua, stand up. What are you doing down on your face? Israel, again, he didn't use the man's name. Israel has sinned. They have violated my covenant, which I commanded them to keep. They have taken some of the devoted things. They have stolen. They have lied. They have put them with their own possessions. That is why the Israelites cannot stand against their enemies. They turn their backs and run because they have been made liable to destruction. I will not be with you anymore unless you destroy whatever among you is devoted to destruction. Let me paraphrase verse 12. Because of disobedience of maybe one person, this is why the church that you attend cannot stand up against their enemies, against the attacks of Satan in the demonic realm. 
because they have turned their backs and they've run away. And because of that, I have made them liable to destruction. Churches are being destroyed because sin does not disappear. It does not go away, as I said. It says, I will not be with you anymore unless you deal with the sin that has caused you to be a victim to the enemy. And see, we need to realize that God said in 1 Corinthians 10, both verse 6 and 11, and then he says so in Romans 15, he told Paul three times to say this. He's simply saying, I want the Christian of the New Testament to learn from the experiences of the Israeli. Their history is there for our benefit. And as I look at what happened to Achan and the children of Israel, I say, I need to learn from that. Maybe my church is bogged down. Maybe it's not going anywhere and there's, dis and there's distractions, there's grumblings, and they're unhappy with the past, they're unhappy with the board. Maybe it's because there's sin that's never been dealt with, that somebody has to deal with it. And you see, the Lord said, the Lord said, I will not be with you. There's a number of times in the Old Testament, God says, because of your sin and your unrepentant hearts, I became your enemy and I fought against you. There's times when he raised up Moabites, Amorites, at different times, and he raised up an army from those heathen nations to bring judgment on Israel because they wouldn't deal with their sins. And I believe much of the church today, I'm talking about the evangelical, Pentecostal, charismatic, it doesn't matter. I believe there's adversaries against many of them because there's sins in the past that instead of being dealt with have been hidden. Let me explain to you. Our ministry is 42 years old as of last year. Started in 73. When people have come to us for counseling, one of the main reasons when people are saying, I'm really unhappy with my church, one of the main reasons they're unhappy, not the only reason, but one of the main reasons is because they know that there's sin in the church, they know the leadership knows about it, but the leadership hides it and buries it instead of dealing with it. We've had countless people say, what am I supposed to do? Well, I don't know how to answer that. You go to the pastor and all you do is is cause him to get upset with you, perhaps. Who knows? But it's important that you realize that sin has to be dealt with. Leaders, pastors, listen to me. Sin has to be dealt with. God does not condone sin. He didn't in Israel, and he won't in your church. Now, Numbers 20, verse 12, it says, The Lord said to Moses and Aaron, Because you have not believed me, to treat me as holy in the sight of the sons of Israel. Therefore, you shall not bring this assembly into the land which I've given them. Now, let me explain. You see, Moses was supposed to take his rod and speak to the rock to get water. Now, before, the other time, God said, take your rod and hit it. But this time, he says, take your rod, but speak to it. But you see, Moses said, oh, no, no, I know how to do this. It worked the last time. So I hit the rock. And God said, you didn't treat me as holy. 
by not doing what I told you to do in the sight of all Israel. And pastors, if you're not dealing with sin, you're not treating God as holy, and what you're doing, you're causing the frustration of the people in your congregation who know about these problems, and they know you're not doing anything. But I understand what's going on in our culture. I understand the, the fear of lawsuits if you challenge someone. But there's ways that you can deal with things. One man, a lawyer, told me something like this. He said, if a person is giving you a problem, they're not dealing with stuff, they're manipulative, controlling, or causing trouble, keep track of every situation where it happens. Write it down. Write down the names of the people that were witnesses involved with them. And at some point, if you have to get that person out of the church, you can. And if they try to lawsuit, take you to court, you can go to the judge and say, here's a history of what that person has done. Here's the witnesses. And we had to ask that person to leave because of the constant trouble. That will help you get through it. It's a little bit outside of what I'm teaching here. This is what God said to the children of Israel through Moses in the book of Leviticus. Leviticus 26. Leviticus 26. This is what he's talking about. He says, when Israel comes into captivity and they're being held by their enemy in a, in a, in a slavery type way, what I want you to do, let me read it for you, 26, but if they want to get out of captivity, verse 40 says, if they will confess their sins and the sins of their fathers, their treachery against me and their hostility towards me, which made me hostile towards them so that I can send them into the land, so that I sent them, pardon me, into the land of the enemies. Then when their uncircumcised hearts are humbled and they pray for their sin, I'll remember my covenant with Jacob and my covenant with Isaac and my covenant with Abraham. Let me paraphrase a wee bit. When your church has sinned, and it starts coming into hard times, and it seems as though the enemy is hitting on you and stopping you from doing the things that you know need to be done to see the kingdom of God grow. You need to step back and say, Lord, we need to ask you to show us what are the sins of this congregation, individuals in this congregation. What are the sins that's holding this church back, that's opening the door for the enemy's attack? What is going on, Father? And allow the Lord to start speaking to you as a congregation. Allow the Lord to start speaking to you as a board, as a leadership, to show you what those sins are. Because if you do not deal with them, how can God bring you back out of what the, is, we would see as captivity? You see, trouble in the church, disgruntled people, miserable people, people leaving, that's like being held captive by the enemy. You need to recognize that God has a remedy. It's called repentance. Repentance and confession of sin, dealing with that sin. Now, if you want to know what does Jesus say about all this, there's two passages of Scripture that I could go to. I'm going to just go to the one. The first one is Matthew 23 starting at verse 33. You can read that on your own. I'm going to read from Luke 11:47 47 to 51. 
Woe to you because you build tombs through your prophets, and it was your forefathers who killed them. So you testify that you approve of what your forefathers did. They killed the prophets and you built the tombs. Because of this, God in his wisdom said, I will send them prophets and apostles, some of whom they will kill and others they will persecute. Therefore, this generation will be held responsible for the blood of all the prophets that has been shed since the beginning of the world, from the blood of Abel to the blood of Zechariah, who was killed between the altar and the sanctuary. Yes, I tell you, this generation will be held responsible for it all. Jesus saying to the Pharisees in his day, you didn't deal, and the people before you didn't deal with the sins that were committed all the way back to Adam and Eve when Cain killed Abel. Nobody's dealt with it. That's why you're under bondage, because when Jesus walked on this earth, they were under the captivity of the Roman Empire. They might have been in their homeland, but they're still held captive by the Roman Empire. And you see Jesus saying, if you want to get out, you need to deal with these things that are in the past that are bound Israel to the, to the, to the slavery, to the uh, abuse of the enemy. You need to repent of the sins that's locking you up. But you see, even though Jesus knew that verse from Leviticus 26 that I just read to you, and the Pharisees knew that verse, they didn't do anything about it. But there were some, time, some people... At the end of the Babylonian captivity, there was Daniel, there was Nehemiah, and there was Ezra. All three of those men lived near the end of the captivity. Daniel um, knew about the captivity. It was supposed to last for 70 years. And he said, the 70 years is up. And so he says in, his, in um, Nehemiah, he said, I know, in Nehemiah, pardon me, in, in Daniel, he says, I know that the 70 years that Jeremiah talked about is up. And what does he do? If you look at chapter 9 of Daniel, you'll see the prayer he's made. Oh, Lord, forgive. Oh, Lord, I confess the sins of all the people that brought us into this captivity. He wasn't dealing with um, the sins back to Ab. He was just dealing with the sin that had brought them into captivity which is probably all he could do. And you see Ezra and Nehemiah in their, in their um, two books, they deal with the same thing. There's confession in there. There's public, there's private, pardon me, confession by both of them, and there's public confession where they brought people together and where they had them repenting of their sin. The, the whole principle is this that they were doing what Leviticus 26, 40 and to 42 says. God says, if somebody will confess the sins, then I will bring them back. And Daniel, Nehemiah, and Ezra saying, I read that passage of scripture, and God said he's going to bring us back by the end of 70 years. But I realize if somebody doesn't obey the scripture from Leviticus, his promise isn't going to work. And we're not going to get out of this mess until somebody deals with the curse that's on this nation. Namely, the sins of our ancestors that brought us into this place in the first place. And so it's important that the church would recognize that if you're bogged down, if things aren't happening the way you want them to, if you need to get out from underneath something, 
The, the key isn't to quit the church and go pastor somewhere else. The key isn't to fire your pastor, fire the board of chairman. And that's not the key. The key is to sit down before the Lord and say, Lord, is it? What are we to do? Now, in the first, in the first um, part of this, I told the people how to begin with prayer by entering into his presence. I really recommend if you get together with your, with your, your board, your, your membership, or whatever it is you might be working with, that you would in some way begin to say, we need to enter into the presence of the Lord. We need to hear him. We need to find out what's going on in our church. We need to deal with the sin that is blocking us, causing God to actually hold his hand against us. Remember, if we're not willing to confess it, that's pride. And pride says God's opposed to the proud. It's like as if he's pushing your, you and your whole church away from himself. He's opposed. What does that word opposed mean? It means that he's not with you. He's not for you. He's against you. And you see, Satan's already out to kill you and destroy you. God's opposed to you. It's no wonder your church is having struggles. You need to deal with it. You need to work at the sin that's blocking you. It isn't because of, of, your, of your board member that, that, you're, that you're held back or the, the pastor or the organist. Those aren't the things holding you back. It's sin that's holding you back. If sin is dealt with, then God can deal with the people. You see, in Nehemiah number chapter 9, starting halfway through verse 2, Listen to what Nehemiah did with the people after he'd repented himself of stuff in the first chapter. It says, they, that's the people, Israel, stood in their places and confessed their sins and the wickedness of their fathers. They confessed theirs, which was part number one of this teaching. They confessed the sins of their forefathers, which is the second part. They did both. They stood where they were and read from the book of the law of the Lord, their God, for a quarter of the day. In other words, the word of God was given to them to build up their faith. They spent another quarter of the day in confession and in worshiping the Lord their God. I have to ask myself, if this large group of people were confessing their sins, how did it physically happen? I don't know of any other way except with a large group like that to say, ah, there's about 20 people over here. You work as a group. And then there's another 25 here. You work as a group. You understand? Break them to group. And then say, now listen to God. Listen to God. Ask the Lord to bind up your own thoughts and feelings. As it says in 2 Corinthians 10, 5, Lord, I bind up my thoughts. I don't want to hear my thoughts and feelings. I want to hear from you. Lord, talk to us. Tell us what it is we have to confess. Please, my Lord, allow the Holy Spirit to start ministering to you. Because if the Holy Spirit starts to speak to you, he wants to deal with this stuff probably more than you do. And so it's important that you give him the chance to do that. Keep listening. Keep confessing until you don't hear anymore. Allow the Holy Spirit the work that he's sent to do. Psalm 139, this is your cry. Please make this your cry. Search me, O Lord, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. 
and see if there's any offensive way in me and lead me in the way of everlasting. You can take that. You can make it into church. Lord, search this church, O oh Lord, and know our hearts. Test us, Lord, and know where we're anxious, all the thoughts we have that are offensive. Oh, Lord, lead this church in the way of righteousness. Father, I'm asking that everyone that's listening to this, that has anything to do with the church body, even if it's just a house group or a Bible study, Lord, I'm asking you that they would be able to use this teaching to clear out some of the garbage of sin, to get it done with, to get the blood of Jesus working in their midst, to allow the Holy Spirit to do what he's been sent to do. Listen to me, Father. Impress on them the hatred that you have for sin, but impress on them the love you have for them. Let them see it, Lord God. Let them know it in the name of Jesus. Let your Holy Spirit be present in every way. In the name of Jesus, we do thank you. And we give you the praise and the glory. Amen, Lord. site at jwmi.ca to find out about more information of our ministry.